The United States Border Patrol has exciting and rewarding career opportunities with the nation's largest law enforcement organization. Border Patrol agents enjoy great pay, outstanding federal benefits, and up to $20,000 in recruitment incentives for newly appointed agents. If you are looking for a way to serve something greater than yourself, consider the United States Border Patrol. Learn more online at cbp.gov careers usbp. That's cbp.gov careers usbp. This is the American Veteran Show. Proud to finally say these two words. Welcome home. Dedicated to those who have worn the uniform. Tremendous national asset. Dedicated to our active duty men and women. They came not as conquerors, but as liberators. Dedicated to presenting issues, topics, and interviews highlighting their commitment to our country. I want to thank the courageous men and women who've served their country in uniform. Less than 1% of the population of our country chooses to serve our country in the military. And the other 99% of us, we owe them. Online at AmericanVeteranShow.com. Here's Stephen Tubbs. Welcome to this week's edition of the American Veteran Show. Glad you are with us. Just a friendly reminder, if you haven't been to our new and improved website, AmericanVeteranShow.com, we urge you to do so. Of course, you can listen to past episodes and see more. Again, AmericanVeteranShow.com. Couldn't do programs like this without our presenting sponsor. As always, a big shout out and thank you to Attorney John Boson at Boson Law, B-O-E-S-E-N Law, BosonLaw.com. Fighting on behalf of veterans every single day, whether it's you or some Someone you know, again, get in touch if you have issues with veteran-related uh, activities, maybe issues with the VA. John Boson and his team certainly willing and able and ready to help. BosonLaw.com or 303-999-9999. Coming up, we'll preview the rest of the program straight ahead. But right out of the shoot, want to get to a report from Fox News just late last week. The announcement, uh, not only the news about NATO and Sweden joining the NATO alliance, but uh, also 3,000 troops headed to Europe, 3,000 U.S. troops. Let's get into that now. This is from Fox News late last week, talking with Hal Kempfer, the CEO of Global Risk Intelligence and Planning. How big of a deal is this when you now know that the President Biden authorizing some 3,000 more potential reservists there potentially to be deployed to Europe? Andy, it kind of opens a door, if you will. Uh, it opens the door for bringing in reserves and National Guard. And, and basically what it does is it very much links the Operation Atlantic Resolve. And Atlantic Resolve is really the bolstering of NATO, particularly the eastern front of NATO, in response to the Russian invasion of Ukraine. And we have been rotating lots of forces in there. Of course, we've been following this over the last almost year and a half, uh, the rotation of various brigades going into uh, Poland, um, various forces from all over NATO rolling into the Baltic states and, and bolstering up that, that eastern, uh, that eastern frontier, if you will, right up against Ukraine, right up against Belarus, right up against Russia. And of course, now with Finland today becoming part of NATO, um, you might see some rotations potentially even going up there. Now, the 3,000 are, are reserves. Some are what's called select Marine Corps or select, I'm sorry, selected reserve units. Those are organized reserve units that are rotating over, and others are what's called individual ready reserve. These are individuals, they're ready to be mobilized, deployed. They're, 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 they maintain all the qualifications they need, but that will be critical for backfill, particularly in various, you know, uh, high demand, but very little known, if you will, organizations, probably in areas like logistics, intelligence, and other areas 
not big combat units, but but all those things they have to support. So that's uh, that's pretty much what we're seeing today, and not a surprise. Again, this operation has gone on for 18 months. So a lot of those active duty units, they've rolled into Europe, they've rolled out of Europe, they're rolling back into Europe. And at some point in our total force structure, we have to augment that by bringing in certain reserve units to kind of fill it out to give those regular active duty units a chance to come back, you know, basically regroup, retrain, refit, all the things they need to be done because they can't be deployed all the time. Yeah, and, and like you mentioned, there are already potentially people over there not involved in the war in Ukraine. Uh, but this was just an authorization for the Department of Defense, right? It's not like President Biden deployed these troops there to uh, to go to Europe himself. They're going to Europe. It's it probably where they'll end up. Uh, they don't have to. They could be backfilled elsewhere. It depends on how broadly uh, Operation Atlantic Resolve is, is determined to be. For example, in Washington, D.C., you could have uh, potentially, and I'm not saying this is the case, but potentially there could be select billets in the Pentagon, Defense Intelligence Agency, other locations, which are are there for one purpose, and that's to support Atlantic Resolve. Potentially, those reservists could be brought in to fill in those units, and that would be something I would expect to see with the individual ready reserve uh, portion, which is about 450 of the 3,000. That's, that's a very likely thing you could see. But I, I don't actually know if that's how they're going to do this or if all of those are to be deployed over to Europe to backfill. The big thing, though, is unlike what we saw with Operations Iraqi Freedom, Operation Enduring Freedom, and certainly if you want to go back to uh, Desert Desert Storm, uh, these are not combat deployments into combat. They are not going to Ukraine. They are not going to war. Although, like any other military forces in Europe, if Europe was attacked, they would be there to help defend Europe and defend NATO against any aggressor. And, and I think I would be remiss if, to, if I didn't ask, but obviously the NATO summit taking place, world leaders, Vladimir Zelensky, the Ukrainian president, also on hand for this, obviously pushing for more and more support, pushing to be a part of the NATO alliance there as well. Does that have any connection between these two, just the NATO summit taking place and also this most recent authorization? I don't think so, and I was kind of wondering that myself. I, I have a feeling, uh, having done a lot of stuff, a lot of staff work, I should say, uh, usually something like this has been in the planning process for quite some time. And it might be coincidental that it just happened that they had to make this decision now. It could have been contingent. There could be other things out there, for example, tied to NATO, you know, Sweden coming on board soon, Finland just coming, you know, basically being officially brought on board today. Uh, there could be uh, second, third order effects in terms of manpower, personnel manning throughout Europe that they need to move certain units to certain places or, or do something else. And, and maybe it was a contingent thing. Actually, what I think, though, is I think this was something that was in the mill for a long time. They were looking at some of the regular units that were that were basically just running out of steam because they've been rotated in and out so often into Eastern Europe. And I think they're also looking at some of these key commands, the, just the, the, the workload that they had. And they were probably saying, hey, look, this isn't going away. We've got to be augmented with more personnel. And so they said, OK, let's let's go to the reserve side and bring those personnel in. Yeah, like you said, some 18 months already into uh, this ordeal there between Russia and Ukraine. But I do have to ask you also uh, about NATO, if we can, uh, because you mentioned Sweden there being involved, Ukraine potentially pushing to get involved. They obviously got a little bit of push back uh, from uh, different members there as well, including the United States. Uh, how big of an addition is Sweden? And maybe do you think 
Ukraine could find their way into that alliance soon? Well, on the last part, if I could answer that first, yes. And I think that was unambiguous today. Uh, I, I thought that little soundbite where uh, President Zelensky was sitting with uh, President Biden and, and, and they can't be the reason they can't be invited in right now, the reason they can't be joined right now, which certainly, you know, Ukraine was kind of leaning towards, you know, hey, give us a set deadline is this this conflict needs to be resolved and nobody knows when the conflict will officially end. Will it be, you know, by the end of summer? Probably not. Will it be sometime in the fall? Possibly. Could it go into next year? Very likely it could. No one knows when. So it's very difficult to give them a hard deadline of when that invitation will come out, which is something that Ukraine wanted. They wanted a hard deadline. Some of the language at the beginning of the conference on this specific issue wasn't that different than some of the language they'd had before, and they were hoping to hear stronger terminology. By the end of the week, they did, which brings us back to that discussion with uh, President Zelensky and President Biden today, when reporters asked President Zelensky how soon after, you know, basically the war is won, the war is over, Russian forces are no longer on sovereign Ukrainian territorial terrain, which is what that implied. But how soon after the war is over would uh, would Ukraine be part of NATO? And President Zelensky was kind of searching for the right thing to say. And President Biden jumped in. He said, an hour and 20 minutes. All right. That's what Ukraine wanted to hear. They wanted to hear that level of commitment because their fear is that they're being armed right now. And they do understand they can't join NATO now without kicking in Article 5 and putting NATO directly into war with Russia. It just can't be done. That again from Fox News. We'll keep tabs on that story as it develops those 3,000 U.S. troops headed to Europe. Coming up in our next segment, you may have heard about the King Supers employee who was fired because he took video on his cell phone following orders, he says, to get a license plate of shoplifters. Well, that man, Santino Barola, was with us on our regular program just this uh, past week. And he joins us and talks about not only what happened in that parking lot, but what he's going to do now and... The fact that he was a United States Army military policeman, a four-year veteran, and was deployed for a year in Iraq. So we'll have Santino next, and uh, we'll have that. Then later on in the program, we'll talk about veterans who are technically in the country illegally, but they served, and then they were deported. We'll wrap up the program, and then in between, we'll talk with our military analyst, Mike Lyons. He was on our regular program. We'll talk with him later on coming up about NATO expanding. Glad you were with us as we continue this Sunday. This is the American Veteran Show, AmericanVeteranShow.com. This is the American Veteran Show, online at AmericanVeteranShow.com. Here's Stephan Tubbs. We continue the American Veteran Show, and it's interesting. We love to profile our veterans, but this one... Coming up, our guest, Santino Barola. I would have never thought we'd meet under these circumstances. A four-year United States Army veteran, one year deployed to Iraq as a military police officer. He has been in the news over the last month or so. Santino, the King Supers employee who videotaped some thieves, shoplifting thieves at a Centennial, Colorado grocery store, followed them out on orders, and he ended up losing his job. On our regular program, Santino joined us. Here's a bit of that conversation. 
Thank you for having me. How you doing? Um, all right. <laughs> a, a little bit better than expected. Yeah. Um, is it, is it, has it been overwhelming since, uh, you know, this, <clears throat> all this, your firing and, and the video and Snoop Dogg and TikTok and all of that? How's it been? It has been a little overwhelming. Luckily, I have a, a good support system within, you know, my family and my cousin has been a major help, you know, filtering out the bad and yeah. <laughs> helping me with the good. Yeah. Well, you're here, you're smiling. And um, first of all, I don't want to get you into any hot water, but <clears throat> you did come in and say, well, I got a little bit of breaking exclusive news. What happened? <laughs> yes. Just for you. Thank you. Um, so I got off the phone with the union and they said that Kroger's came up with a deal and the deal was to make me rehirable instead of termination to oh, overturn that. How nice of them. Yes. <laughs> Give me my two weeks that I, you know, was suspended and terminated for. Give me those two weeks of pay, but then I have to sign an NDA. <laughs> oh, an NDA, meaning, yeah, you won't be able to, say, speak with people like me. Right, or, exactly. Or talk with anybody else. I've got to ask, you don't have to answer, but do you plan on becoming a King Supers employee again? <laughs> Excuse my language? Hell no. <laughs> I don't. I, I really don't. I think a lot of people would say they understand that. Right, yes. Yeah. Yes. I want to get into, and we're going to go through the, no pun intended, the TikTok of of how this whole thing (laughs) happens. It happened on on Father's Day. Um, You're at the store. You're back. You were telling me off the air. Your back was actually to these thugs that were were stealing the laundry detergent. But I want to go back. Where'd you grow up? Oh, Michigan. Uh, Saginaw, Michigan, to Mm -hmm. be exact. Mm -hmm. Born and raised. And you served four years in the United States Army as a military policeman. Tell me about that. Yes, sir. That is correct. Uh, My basic was in Fort Leonardwood, Missouri. And then uh, my first duty station was uh, Fort Drum, New York. I did a year in Iraq, 2009, 2010. And then I got out in 2012 and, uh, you know, been around the world ever since. Yeah. You are not a Colorado guy. You come. How do you get here to Colorado? Oh, good Lord. (laughs) So so, uh, around 17, my dad, he was working for um, GM at the time. They were doing the buyouts and they were like, either, you know, take this money or go further, you know, like keep working Mm -hmm. for the sister plant Delphi. And so he got transferred to Arlington, Texas, you know, lived there for uh, two, three years until I decided they were like, hey, go to college or join the military. And we already had, you know, a lot of my family members already in the military. And I was like, that's what I want to do. You know, I want to serve my country and just like my family members. And so I joined the army, you know, my four years after I got out of the army, uh, moved to Oklahoma, joined the oil fields, then lived there for five years, moved to Alaska, lived there for two years. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Lived there for two years after that, moved back to Texas for another two years. And then, uh, January of 2022, I moved to Brighton, Colorado, and I've been here ever since, but in various places, Colorado Springs, uh, Centennial, you know? Yeah. Santino Barola is our guest. Uh, the one thing that I've learned about you in the last 45 minutes or so is you, man, you work your ass off. You are not somebody waiting for an unemployment check. No, you no, were, you were working three jobs at, at a time. F- how many hours a week were you working? Uh, at first, it was... With uh, all three of you. You know, you were doing some other stuff right, as well right. as part-time at King Supers. Yes, yes. I was uh, full-time at Garney Construction, part-time at King's, part-time at Garlic Knot, and then DoorDash uh, on my free time. <laughs> your free time. <laughs> yes. So you were you were pushing 70 hours a week. Yes. 
70 plus sometimes. Let's go back to Father's Day. Talk to me about that shift. You showed up for what, an 11.30 to uh, 7.30? Mm-hmm. You know, just regular shift. I had an hour left of my shift. It was like around 6.30. Oh, man. Yeah, an hour left. And I'm like, okay, I get to go home, chill, you know, just regular day. And then I was in the front end. And I was alerted to the situation. The The third in charge, I don't want to name no names, nope. but the third in charge comes up to me. She's like, hey, those guys are still in. And I was like, who? She goes, those guys. And she points towards, you know, the aisle that the laundry detergent in is. It's adjacent to a emergency exit that's supposed to set off alarms when it's opened. I look over there and the guy's halfway out the door with a cart full of laundry detergent and scent boosters. That door's supposed to stay closed. And I knew something was, I was like, oh, those guys, you know? And she was like, go get the plate number. I was like, instantly, just, yeah. Did you go back to MP mode? Basically, yeah. It, it, my MP instincts kicked in. I, what better evidence? Like, like I said, I went out to the, you know, went outside the store. I'm like fumbling my phone. I was like, oh, take photo of the license plate as they're leaving. But then I was like, wait a minute, video. You know, okay, it's, I'm gonna stop you there. Okay, because here's what happens next. Damn, these guys are good. Look at them stealing. Really, bro? You got to resort to this? Economy's not that bad. Better get it while the getting's good. Oh, damn. The video literally seen around the world, taken by our in-studio guest, Santino Barola, a former King Supers employee. I'm going to tell you what, uh, on the air, friends, what Mm -hmm. I told Santino to his face not 30 minutes ago. Brother, if you were my son, Mm -hmm. I would have kicked the (laughs) shit out of you (laughs) for doing what you did, because you just never know. You just never know who's armed, and it would not have been. And I do realize that that's the Kroger reason is it's not worth you not going home safely after your shift. But we hear that video. So take us through. You decide after the third third in command says, go get the license plate. Take us through what happens. So. I go outside the store and, you know, I'm, I think photo, but I'm like better video evidence. I, you know, you can always, uh, nowadays you can pause the video, zoom in, take a still image of it. Right. You know, so that's better. Like, so I was like, I'm going to do that. I was getting video and they're not in no hurry. So I'm not in no hurry. Did that so, surprise you? They're just like, well, oh, let's get this stuff out sooner rather than later. But you know, they, they almost like they knew right, nothing right, was going right. to come. Yeah. Well, and, and being a former MP, you know, I've seen a lot of stuff and then I'm in Iraq and, you know, so I'm like this, I mean, it sucks, you know, and then I live in a good area. I, I would say it was a good area of Colorado. Now, and what, what, this was a centennial yes, King Super? Yes. Okay. And so, uh, well, you know, I, I just, I was like, really? Like, I, I was, it was a little bit shocking, but more like, I, you know, like. Almost wow. like the nerve of these yeah, idiots. Yes, yes, yes. And so I'm, I'm approaching them and I'm just like, uh, in cop trying to de-escalate the situation mode or like, come on guys, like, you know, do you really want to do this? And, and, you know, I got, I got a lot of questions or like, or like 
there's people telling me, oh, mind your business, or, you know, they must have really need, like, really laundry detergent. Really, because that's currency. They're going to, they're going <laughs> to, right. They weren't going home to wash baby diapers. Right, right. Cloth diapers or whatever. And, and, and the, the way I was raised and the person that I am, you know, people were like, and I was like, first of all, it wasn't food. If it was food, this story would be a totally different, uh, uh, it would be totally different story. I, the person I am and how I was raised, I would have been like, look, guys, I may not have much, but I could take like a, a couple of things with me back to the store, buy it for you. You know, like, like, let's, let's. You would have done that. Yeah, I would have done that. Like, that's the person I am. His name, Santino Barola. And sadly, he's now moving out of Colorado and picking up the pieces and trying to get a job in another state. We appreciate his service most certainly. Coming up as we continue the American Veteran Show, our friend of the program, our military analyst, Mike Lyons, United States Army Major, retired, talks about the latest when it comes to Ukraine and when it comes to Turkey saying uh, to Sweden, go ahead, you can become a part of NATO. We'll talk about that, cluster munitions, and more as we continue. This is the American Veteran Show, AmericanVeteranShow.com. Welcome back to the American Veteran Show. We continue now with Stefan Tubbs. We continue the program on this Sunday with a recap of our conversation last week on our regular program with our military analyst, Mike Lyons. There's nobody better. He's a military dad. He had a decorated career. Uh, He's worked with NATO. And we wanted to have him on to discuss not only the newest member of NATO, that would be the nation of, of Sweden, but the decision for the United States of America to send cluster munitions to Ukraine. Again, former United States Army Major, now retired, Mike Lyons. Hi, Stephen. Great to be back with you. Thanks for having me. How big a deal is this to you? Well, I mean, this was the kind of the last uh, you know, straw in order for, uh, for Sweden to get this approval. And Erdogan was holding out. He wanted something. It looks like he still wants admission to the EU, and um, he'll likely get it, but he had to agree to it. It's a, it's a rapid reversal. It wasn't this way 12 hours ago. But uh, somehow a deal got struck, and now you've got 32 member nations uh, within NATO. Uh, Russia turns two countries that were formerly uh, neutral for most of their lives, most of their their times, and uh, now they are uh, in, in in part of the alliance. So it's it's a big deal from that perspective. And and for for one thing that this conflict has done is unite NATO. And and I think that's that's been one of the positive aspects of of uh, the Ukraine war. Mike, what does this send as far as a message to the Kremlin? Well, I mean, th- this was their w- what they didn't want to have happen, and and um, they might try to go hardline now with Ukraine. I think it's going to really force Ukraine to win on the battlefield. I, I don't think you're going to see any negotiation because one of the things that Vladimir Putin had said initially was uh, Ukraine could never join NATO. That would be part of a condition of a surrender. So um, it's going to make the job for the Ukraine military a lot more difficult, frankly. I, I think that uh, Russia is going to continue to dig in. They still have great capacity. They, they, they are aligned in these defensive positions that they've been preparing for the past six months that, um, that are very formidable. And um, the, the Ukraine doesn't have – the Ukraine military doesn't have the air superiority it really needs when it executes a counteroffensive. And so you bring that all together, I think it's going to make the job more difficult for Ukraine's military to fight the war. Our military analyst, Mike Lyons, joins us. Uh, You know, we just had passed, within the last few days, we passed 500 
days of war in Ukraine. What what can you take from that? What do you see as far as highlights? Certainly so many lowlights and the, the tens of thousands of people that have lost their lives. Well, yeah, I mean, the conflict has not been uh, something that we thought was even going to go this long on some level. I, I, I was surprised what, what Ukraine has done. Um, it's hard to imagine 500 days. It could go another 500 days from now. Um, they, it, it, it has achieved all different types of things you describe warfare to go. Both sides have culminated at some point. They, they've kind of run out of steam. Uh, the counteroffensive that's hap- taking place right now uh, by Ukraine is d- doing as best it can, but like I said, didn't have that air superiority. We, we, we saw Russia basically fail on four or five different fronts and have to focus completely on the Donbass region and trying to save what it can in Crimea. So as, you know, as I kind of look back on it, Ukraine every day just gains more credibility within the international community. And that's why I think that the, the, the administration or uh, you know, the, the Pentagon in particular is supporting what they're doing because um, you know, that's been results-oriented and they've been getting that kind of results. We, we've got the defeat of the Russian military in real time taking place by proxy by the Ukraine military. And then you lay over the fact that the future um, ramifications of this is no one's buying Russian military equipment in the, in the future because everyone sees it's crap, it doesn't work on the battlefield, mm-hmm. it doesn't protect your own soldiers. So there's so many different second and third you know, tasks and, and implied missions uh, that, that this war has been accomplishing. I think there are dozens and dozens of countries that have banned cluster munitions. I want to start kind of this segment with you mm-hmm. talking about what, what, what are cluster bombs, what, what are cluster munitions? So a cluster munition is a submunition inside a, a larger munition. And, and in the case of artillery rounds, uh, DPICM, dual purpose and proved conventional munitions. That's uh, rounds we fired back in the 80s. I fired them as a commander in Desert Storm. We, 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 we used them back then. Um, and what they do is they provide greater effects on a target because they spread out a lot longer. They um, they can be fired. They they uh, can explode from the top. They go after vehicles as well as just personnel. So, so they're a better way to wage war if you can if, if that makes sense yeah. on any level. Um, however, uh, in in the last 20 years, um, about 100 nations or so throughout the world co-signed onto a, an agreement not to use cluster munitions because of the damages they cause, and mostly to civilians and children who pick them up. What happens is they'll leave a bomblet dud on the ground. It looks like a toy. A child comes and picks it up and, and then is, is injured. So, yeah. yeah. And so um, and the, the it creates a more dirty battlefield. That's the term I've been using, and that is if you know where they've been, they've been fired over, you have to be very careful when you proceed in, into that area, though. Um, but but we've used them in the past, so I don't I, you know I don't know what's changed. I think I think the law of land warfare is a litmus test to this, um, and that is proportionality. They've been if they're used in proportionality, what the enemy is doing, I think that's okay. Um, they're not used indiscriminately on civilians and or children or or in cities and built up areas. They're used on military targets, and um, and given the fact that uh, you know Ukraine's fighting for its survival, so I I think. That um, that's a lot of virtue signaling, frankly, taking place by people who don't believe that we should be sending them there. Um, we've used them in the past. Russia hasn't signed on to this treaty. Neither has uh, neither has China. Neither has Ukraine. Neither have us. We, we're not signatories to the agreement as well. Mike, they, uh, you know, apparently more than 120 countries have have signed on to to ban these, and yet mm-hmm. we hear over the last several days that. 
you know, Kiev is is running out of ammunition. I mean, that's I mean, if 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 you're fully supporting uh, the Ukraine effort against Russia, et cetera, I mean, th- th- that's pretty that's pretty telling if if that's the public sentiment that we're running out of ammo. Yeah, that's true. And I think we you know, that was a no-known. I you know, we you go back a few months ago, I did a kind of a story on this that, that we've given them a million rounds. They were shooting about 90,000 to almost 100,000 a month and we were only resupplying them with anywhere from 20 to 25,000 a month. We don't have the capability in our uh, in our uh, factories to to make any more than that, we couldn't. We can't do it a one for one. So we knew they were starting going to start mm-hmm. running out of conventional ammunition. It just so happens, though, we have millions of these rounds that have been sitting around since the 80s, and we've been looking to potentially um, repurpose them anyway. In fact, some of them were getting repurposed, but now if they could get shipped to Ukraine for the conflict, it it kind of solves two birds with one stone. There. How are they actually dispersed? Um, you, what do you mean in terms of how it's fired? Or yeah, where, like a, how do you how do you take one of these? And this is you can tell I'm I'm a lowly yeah, civilian. No. You know how how do you get these these cluster munitions to a target? Yeah, so so it's fired from an artillery round, and inside artillery rounds, anywhere from let's say 88 to 90 or so of these small little bomblets in the round, and then the, there's a time release fuse on the round that once. Uh, it's uh, depending on the, the the distance to the ground, 100 meters or whatever that you set the fuse for, 50 meters, mm-hmm. whatever you set the fuse for. Um, it would release the the bomblets, and then the bomblets, used based on gravity and then and the the effects of the target, it gets spread out across a bigger area. So that's why they're improved because you also have this issue of Russian counter battery is very good. You know, every artillery round has a return address. And right. this will also help artillery from the Ukraine side for survivability because they'll be able to shoot these, get good effects, and then move right away. They're not, they're not planted in place when they shoot artillery. They have to move, shoot the artillery, then, and then get out of the way very quickly or, or incoming rounds are coming back. Now, Russia is in the same boat of almost running out of ammunition itself. We know that, that they are expending a tremendous amount of ammunition. Before we let you go, I want to I ask you about what what we saw within the last couple of weeks and the Wagner group etc i mean was that in your estimation was that an attempt at a at a coup i didn't think so i thought that was a mutiny i think that um that was done on purpose to send a message to to vladimir putin and i said all along that he's not going to get rid of the wagner group they just are too much earners if you use the crime family analogy that the the Pergozin is an earner, and he earns in Africa where they're trying to get rare earth minerals, and he earns everywhere. So I, I never thought, you know, he was sending a message, and it looks like he's going to win. I mean, we see that he's now met with Vladimir Putin in the last few days, and all of a sudden, Gerasimov is missing, and Shoigu, the the defense minister, is going to step down. So so he got what he wanted, and those Wagner mercenaries are not joining the regular Russian army. They get fed different, they get better uniforms, they have good equipment, they're, they're a mercenary army. They're not, they're not all of a sudden going to just show up and, mm-hmm. and start fighting for the motherland. So, uh, you know, this is kind of going how I thought it was going to go. Uh, mutiny, he was concerned about what was going on, and, uh, and that was the end of it. He was going to replace Vladimir Putin as the leader. From earlier on our regular program, Mike Lyons, our military analyst. We'll wrap up the show coming up next. This is the American Veteran Show, AmericanVeteranShow.com. Now, back to the American Veteran Show. Here's Stephan Tubbs. Welcome back as we wrap up this week's edition of the American Veteran Show. What you're about to hear is a piece from ABC News and correspondent John Quinones. 
one of my former colleagues at ABC News, I might add. But this particular piece, he talks about veterans who were technically here illegally serving the United States and then being deported. This from, again, ABC's John Quinones. Since the Revolutionary War, non-U.S. citizens have been allowed to serve in the U.S. military. Today, more than 32,000 of them are enlisted, many of them lured by an enticing incentive. If they serve in the U.S. military, they might get American citizenship. When Joe was just four years old, he came to Texas from Mexico with his family. Why were they coming here? Uh, for the American dream. Uh, better, better life. Your dad wanted a better life for the family. My mom, my mom. She's she since they went. How would uh, you describe Francis? Beautiful, uh, best mom in the world. Joe had legal permanent resident status, but wasn't a U.S. citizen. When September 11th happened, he decided to enlist, spurred on not only by the prospect of citizenship, but by an urgent sense of patriotism. What was your heart telling you? Sign up. Sign up. Sign up, step up, and I did. Joe was deployed twice in the Iraq War. And while you were there protecting the United States, how did that feel? I feel good. I feel like I was doing something. And like uh, you were giving back? proud, giving back, make myself proud. I loved it. I miss it. He wanted to become a U.S. citizen, but he says trying to navigate the process and the paperwork while serving was difficult. Wasn't there a time that you could have requested full citizenship and maybe have prevented the deportation? I did. I sent, I sent out a package, whole fingerprints, uh, picture IDs, everything, and I have a whole package. And nothing became of it? Nothing became of it. It got lost in the system. Joe says he never followed up. After he was honorably discharged, he went to college, bought a house. But he says he also started to struggle with his mental health. He believes he suffered from PTSD, though was never formally diagnosed. If you hadn't had it, do you think you would have turned to drugs? No, I don't think so. I was doing great until that part of my life came in. To cope, Joe says he started using methamphetamine and eventually started selling it to support his addiction. He served five years in prison on the drug convictions. Now, you understand you broke the law. I so. broke the law. Yeah, I understood the whole did the crime, do the time thing, but getting deported, it's like getting punished twice. I'm still paying for it. In his fight to get back home, Joe started working with Robert Vivar, who runs an advocacy group helping deported veterans with paperwork and access to legal services. It is pretty common for that situation to have occurred where they actually applied for citizenship and never followed them through. Non-U.S. citizens serving in the military have long been subject to deportation for violent crimes like murder. But deportations like Joe's for non-violent crimes have increased since 1997, after the Clinton administration passed the Illegal Immigration Reform and Immigrant Responsibility Act. It created a category called aggravated felony, where any conviction of more than one year carried automatic deportation. On top of that, it took away discretion that an immigration judge could use when addressing an issue of a veteran in removal proceedings. 
A 2019 report by the Government Accountability Office found that many deported veterans' convictions were drug-related and that Immigration and Customs Enforcement, or ICE, policy requires the agency to take additional steps to proceed before a veteran is deported, but that ICE did not consistently follow its policies and did not consistently identify and track such veterans. It's been a hard road my whole life. Like Joe Rico, U.S. Marine and Iraq War veteran Edwin Salgado was deported to Mexico after a drug conviction. He also did not have U.S. citizenship at the time. Uh, I missed my, my, uh, my appointment for the fingerprints because I was deployed. He says he was diagnosed with PTSD after his deployment. But the VA hospital that he'd like to receive treatment from is across the border a world away, as long as Edwin is barred from entering the U.S. PTSD is bad. Um, I've come close to um, suicide a few times. But I don't want to do that, you know. But sometimes it's just those thoughts just come to your mind and, you know, you just want it all to shut down, you know. In the seven years he's been in Mexico, Edwin has created a new life south of the border with a wife and daughter. My goal is just to be happy. That's it. That's the other thing I want. I just want to have access to the U.S. I want to be able to go to the VA to get treatment. He also found a sort of therapy in art, helping create this mural along the Tijuana-California border. The upside down flag is a sign. Uh, so we're in distress, we need help. We're willing to die for the country, and as soon as we're not needed anymore, uh, we're just discarded, you know. At least 75 deported veterans have returned to the U.S. since 2022. That's when the Biden administration launched an initiative providing a pathway back to the U.S. and halting future deportations. It's not legislation, so it could change at any time. We need legislation to be passed. For years, U.S. Congressman Mark Takano has been trying to pass that legislation. Deporting veterans, uh, people who've served our nation, have put their lives on the line. There's something wrong with that. As the ranking member of the House Committee on Veterans Affairs, today he introduced his fourth bill on the issue with bipartisan support. We aim to prevent deportations of veterans um, by making sure that non-citizen veterans become citizens. And we uh, mandate a number of steps uh, that the Department of Defense has to take to make that happen. His bill would also create a process for a veteran's military service to be considered before deportation. Your Republican peers who voted down your previous bills have said that they believed it would open a path for criminals to stay in the country, and that it creates additional carve-outs to an already broken immigration system. Your response to those criticisms? We do not defend at all uh, heinous, serious crimes. Murder, crimes against children. We do say that if, there's a, if anyone deserves a second chance, mm -hmm. it is a veteran, somebody who's worn uniform in the United States. Yeah. It is a travesty to me that these folks who have been deported can get back into the country in a coffin uh, to be buried in National Cemetery. They can be guaranteed the right to be brought back into this country if only they're dead. Only they're, they're dead. That's right. 
Back in Mexico, Joe Rico has been in drug rehab, recovering from his addiction. I'm just happy that I get to go home tomorrow. I won't miss all of you. I love you guys. It's very healing for me. I love you. Sober now. Sober now. No cravings. Uh, I love it. How many nights have you cried? Lost count. What brings the tears? My mom. Your mom? My mom. How many times I let her down? But in May, due to Biden's initiative, Joe finally received the news he was waiting for for so long. His request to return to the U.S. had been approved. I keep thinking uh, I'm going to get a call and something's wrong's going to happen or I don't know. Then he's ready to go home. Again, that from ABC News and a postscript to the story. He ended up arriving in Texas and having a reunion with his mother. That's all the time for this week's episode. Thank you, as always, for joining us. Don't forget to visit AmericanVeteranShow.com. And we'll be back next week with another edition. For our producer, Michael Arpaio, I'm Stephen Tubbs. Have a terrific week ahead. Thank you for listening. And remember our troops. The American Veterans Show is a copyrighted production of Mountain Time Media Group, LLC. All rights reserved. For more information, visit AmericanVeteranShow.com. And join us next week for another edition of The American Veteran Show. Looking for a fun way to win up to 25 times your money this basketball season? Test your skills on prize picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/get100 and use code get100. That's code get100 at prizepicks.com/get100. For a first deposit matchup to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy.